With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Josh Hammer, and welcome back to America on Trial. Let's waste no time. Let's go around the horn. So if you're anything like me, you are kind of on pins and needles here, waiting for more news from the Supreme Court of the United States when it comes to the two Trump-related cases that are now currently pending before the nine justices. Now, frankly, what I am waiting for above all, just because I'm a constitutional law nerd, I'm I'm really, really, really eager to see what's going to happen in that Trump versus Anderson case. This is the appeal out of Colorado. The oral argument of the court was about two weeks ago now on so-called insurrection clause grounds, 14th Amendment, Section 3. The reason why I'm so interested in this as a personal matter is it's not just because it's important. It happens to be very important. We're talking here about the most foundational questions in all of lowercase all Republican self-governance. Are we the people actually responsible for our own destiny? Are we responsible? Are we capable, for that matter, of choosing our own leaders and charting our own course? Or is it going to be up to ad hoc discretionary actions from public administrators and state court judges and state officials and who knows, dog catchers and towns. Is it going to be up to them or is it going to be up to us to choose who our leaders are and chart our own course? That really is the ultimate question in the Trump versus Anderson case. But really, as a constitutional law nerd, the reason I really care about that case is because the actual relevant constitutional provision here, the so-called insurrection clause in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, has seldom been interpreted in the entire history of the federal judiciary, for that matter, let alone the United States Supreme Court. And with some exceptions, including Griffin's case, this 1869 case that was an opinion written by Justice Salmon Chase and came down from the court just a year after the 14th Amendment was ratified, with some rare exceptions like that, this is largely speaking what lawyers refer to as a case of first impression, where it's it's a juicy constitutional clause that has really been interpreted. So I'm really just as a frankly, just as a straight up constitutional law nerd, I'm really excited to see what's going to come down in that opinion. It's not really a question as to how it's going to come out. All signs are pointing towards 9-0 unanimous or 8-1, to but we are still waiting for that to come out. I continue to think that that opinion is going to drop sooner rather than later, especially as we get closer and closer to Super Tuesday. This is not the kind of thing that the justices are going to allow out there, allow the state's to just start making these discretionary actions. They're going to want to issue a single definitive ruling once and for all, especially, you know, looking at my legal calendar here in two days, just this Friday, February 23rd, in in the state of Illinois, about as blue a state as it gets there in Illinois, there is a circuit court there that is is expected to issue a written decision on their own 14th Amendment Section 3 ballot access challenge. So a lot of these blue states are starting to engage in more of these shenanigans. At first it was Colorado, then it was Maine, now it looks like it's Illinois. The court's going to want to weigh in there sooner rather than later, probably any day now, honestly, at this point. Then also there in the U.S. Supreme Court's docket, we're still waiting for more news when it comes to the Trump lawyer's request for a stay of the three-judge D.C. Circuit panel's denial of sweeping presidential immunity for Trump in the Jack Smith federal probe there in the D.C. Circuit. That's the case pertaining to the 2020 election and the events leading up to 
January 6, 2021. I continue to think that the justices will indeed grant this stay. Rather, the only question that they're going to have to face is whether they will then proceed the Trump lawyers to seek review before the en banc D.C. circuit or just expedite the hearing of the immunity question on the substantive Article II constitutional merits before all nine justices. They will, at that point, if they choose to go that route, they will need briefing, they will need argumentation, they might even ask for a full expedited oral argument. In fact, they probably would if that is the route that they so choose there. Bear in mind, just kind of zooming out for a bit here, this is the case where the Biden regime, where the Democrat media complex, this is the case where all of these moving parts on the American left, this is where they are putting their eggs right now. All of their eggs, for the most part, are currently in the Jack Smith D.C. circuit basket. I don't want to say all of them, but that, that is where most of their eggs are right now. Now, you have this case in New York City, the Alvin Bragg case, that as of last Thursday, Justice Juan Merchant there in his New York City courtroom has waved ahead to go ahead and start on March 25th. Jury selection in the Stormy Daniels, Michael Cohen, hush money payment case is going to start there on March 25th. That case is laughably frivolous, absolutely laughably frivolous, even if they go ahead and manage to secure a criminal conviction before Election Day, which they, they actually might do. That really is the one case where the legal calendar actually might line up nicely, where they could... With the right jury pool, and we're talking here about New York County, New York, talking about Manhattan, for goodness sake, you're, you're probably going to get a good jury pool. That actually is the one case where the timing could work out, where they could get a conviction. But even if they went ahead and, and, and landed that conviction, first of all, it wouldn't include, in all likelihood, jail time. The criminal conviction there in New York City would would include fines. It would include perhaps some sort of other equitable non-monetary non-monetary remedies, but it, but it would not include jail times. What would the political ramifications be of a guilty verdict in a sham trial of this level, a sham trial where Alvin Bragg's predecessor, Cy Vance Jr., looked into possible charges along these lines and then eschewed, and then he decided to change his mind and said that he was not going to pursue it because it was legally baseless. There's a case where Alvin Bragg himself actually first looked into it. I mean, Alvin Bragg, a Soros fund, the guy as far left as a far left prosecutor gets. He looked into this and initially said, eh, no, I'm not going to go ahead and go down that rabbit hole. And then he ultimately changed his mind based on the fact that some of his subordinates, some of his inferiors, essentially talked him out of it. They said that, no, you really you really ought to go and get Trump. That's what you campaigned on, dude. Go ahead and do it. So there's a lot of factors there in New York City that are not necessarily, even though the legal calendar might make sense as far as a conviction, not necessarily going to be a gotcha moment. And then the case in Georgia, which we'll get to a little bit later in the show today in just a few minutes, th that case really does seem to be collapsing. So it, it is this Jack Smith case in Washington, D.C., above all. Jack Smith has this other case in Florida pertaining to classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. That trial is currently set to start in late May, around May 20th or so. We'll see if that date changes, but right now it's set for May 20th. That's a big case as well, don't get me wrong. The, the likelihood of a hung jury in southern Florida in this jurisdiction where Judge Aileen Cannon's courthouse is, the likelihood of a hung jury is certainly higher there. And also just a fact pattern, frankly, from a Biden regime perspective, it is really just not as sexy, right, as the situation with Jack Smith in D.C. I mean, the Jack Smith case in D.C. cuts to the very core of what the Democratic Party's narrative has been for, for years and years and years now, which is that Donald Trump stole an election or attempted to steal an election, that he denied this, that, uh, that he did this, he did that. And... Uh, 
it really is the definitive Democratic Party narrative for this entire decade, for the 2020s. And for all those reasons, I think that they are going to pull out all the stunts imaginable when it comes to that particular case in the D.C. Circuit. First, it will be before Judge Tanya Chuckin in trial court. But first, we need to actually go ahead and hear from the Supreme Court when it comes to this question of presidential immunity. One final bit of legal news in Around the Horn before we go to today's deep dive here. There, there was a bit of legal news that dropped last week that you might have missed. So it was this past summer, it was this past summer around May or June or so, where you had a, a lot of Republicans, a lot of conservatives, commentators echoing the claims of Republican congressmen and senators who, who were talking about the fact that there was a confidential source who had described in documents that were not fully made public, but some, such as Senator Chuck Grassley, I remember him publicizing these claims, that they had seen in a SCIF, in a secure and confidential information facility, they said that they saw a confidential FBI source who had credible, perhaps even definitive claims, that Burisma had just straight up paid off Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, $5 million a piece, right? This was, this was the claim that circulated. I certainly talked about it on my platforms. It was a big deal. This, this was a big deal when this claim started circulating last summer. It was a lot of the smoke, not quite fire, but it was a lot of smoke that Congressman Jim Comer of Kentucky was looking at as the chair of the Oversight Committee when he was launching that impeachment investigation against Joe Biden, which thus far seems to have stalled, at least for the time being. So it, it, it was fairly big news last week. We haven't covered it yet on this show. When a grand jury actually returned an indictment charging that very source, who apparently is a confidential informant by the name of Alexander Smirnov, 43-year-old man, this grand jury indicted him and charged him with making a false statement in violation of 18 U.S. Code Section 1001. And it does pertain. It does pertain to exactly what was going on last summer up in Congress with these allegations of $5 million apiece to what the indictment refers to as, quote, public official one. That would be Joe Biden and, quote, business person one. That would be Hunter Biden. If convicted, Alexander Smirnov faces up to 25 years in prison, he presumably would get less than that. That's the absolute maximum there. So uh, pretty damning stuff if they can go ahead and get a conviction. That's really the big question there. Just because you've been indicted for a crime obviously does not mean that you're guilty. Alexander Smirnov is going to be, he will face his own trial there, but really interesting stuff and does cut to the core of all the various topics that we talk about here on this show, America on Trial, given the fact that he was talking about these alleged payments from Burisma that really cut to the core of Joe Biden's fitness or lack thereof for office. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With all that said, and that is a story that we're going to continue to track there, the indictment against Alexander Smirnov. With all that said, let's go to today's deep dive. And for today's deep dive, I want to go ahead and go back to this case in Georgia. And, wow, I mean, we mentioned earlier in the show that the Georgia case seems to be collapsing, right? And sure enough, it does. It, it does seem to be collapsing, you had this wild two-day hearing with Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade last week. We had this whole he said, she said as to when did this relationship, this illicit relationship between Fonnie and Nathan actually start. Did it start in 2022 as Fonnie and Nathan claimed that it did, which would be after the November 2021 launch date of Fonnie Willis's investigation? Did she hire her lover boy to be the special prosecutor before or after he was her lover boy? Well, according to Fonnie Willis's self-proclaimed quote-unquote good friend and former colleague in the Fulton County, Georgia DA's office, they actually started shacking up back in 2019, which would really be damning if true. It's a bit of a he said, she said situation at the moment there. No way of definitively proving this thus far, one way or the other. But this thing is very, very, very far from over. In fact, news that broke on social media just this morning, February 21st, the Fulton County Board of Ethics is apparently holding a, a special meeting, a special meeting on Thursday, March 27th. This is a, a, a public meeting that is, is essentially just going to discuss the multiple ethics complaints concerning Fonnie Willis. And this meeting, again, is open to the public. This is scheduled for March 7th. So, you know, uh, go ahead and do the math yourself there. This thing's not ending anytime soon is, is the point that I'm making there. That, that date, of course, being two weeks from now. Additionally, today, down there in Georgia, there's actually going to be a private, so not a public, but a private hearing in Judge Scott McAfee's chambers on other misconduct allegations pertaining to Fonnie Willis. So this thing is very, very, very far from over. In fact, I actually just noticed an article overnight that dropped a few days ago, but it's really, really interesting. This is, it's written by a man by the name of Richard Painter, who is about as far from a conservative as you can get. He's a, he's a professor at the University of Minnesota Law School. It's true that he was technically a, a White House lawyer during the second Bush administration from 2005 to 2007, but in recent years over the past decade or so, Richard Painter has essentially reneged upon, he has renounced his former capital R Republican partisan identity. He has essentially said that that he is a liberal these days. In fact, he has held himself out or at least teased runs for public office as a capital D Democratic official. So it caught my eye when I saw Richard Painter's byline in an essay for The Atlantic, the venerable liberal publication, and the title of his essay is, quote, Step Aside, Fonnie Willis. And what he basically argues in this essay is that although from his perspective, the Trump lawyers did not meet their threshold for disqualifying Fonnie Willis under Georgia law, quote, that is not the end of it, writes Richard Painter, quote, 
Wills is a public servant obligated to discharge the duties of her office in accordance with the best interests of the people of Georgia. In this instance, the best interest of the public dictates that she withdraw from prosecuting the case. And he goes on a little further here. This is a point that that we have made on this show, of course, repeatedly ever since we launched the show. This is, again, this is Richard Painter, a former Republican, but now quite liberal and emphatically liberal and vehemently anti-Trump lawyer and writer writing for The Atlantic on February 18th. Later in the essay, he writes, quote, The broader context here matters. The charges brought by Willis represent one of the most important cases in Georgia history, indeed in American history. It is the first time that Georgia has ever prosecuted a former president of the United States and the second time that any state has ever prosecuted a former president. Again, as he notes, the DA in Manhattan filed an indictment against Trump weeks before Willis. That would be Alvin Bragg. And then Richard Painter concludes, as only a liberal could conclude, quote, the subject matter of the case, the integrity of elections, is essential to a representative democracy. Okay, so the essay is replete. It is filled with liberal rhetoric like that, the kind of rhetoric that would be catnip to Jen Psaki or Rachel Maddow on their respective MSNBC programs, that sort of thing there. But that's really neither here nor there for present purposes. The point is that even a venerable liberal, someone like a Richard Painter, is now calling for Fonnie Willis to actually step aside there. He's basically saying it doesn't matter whether or not the technical legal threshold for disqualification was met in this case. We would be arguing over nitty-gritty legal details there, and we really should be focused on the prize there. And from his perspective, you know, Trump is a bad man orange man bad, you know how that argument goes. And if we really want to get this guy out by any means necessary, whether it's bankrupting him, whether it's denying him ballot access, whether it's sending him to jail, whether it's who knows what else, then Fonnie Willis has to step aside for the good of our cause, where our cause is defined as the left-wing partisan Democratic Party and Democrat media complex agenda there. So with folks like that calling for her to step aside I really just don't see how Fonnie Willis ends up staying on this case. For that matter, I, I have an increasingly hard time seeing how this case stays in Fulton County, Georgia at all, where you have such compromised characters at the very top of the food chain, Fonnie Willis and her tapped special prosecutor in this case, Nathan Wade. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to hand it off to a lower attorney in the, D, in the DA's office? You're going to hand it off to someone who presumably knew all about what was going on at the top of the food chain there? You're going to hand it off to someone who probably went home at night knowing that their boss, Fonnie Willis, was paying off her illicit lover with whom she was having a deeply unethical, scandalous extramarital affair and sending him $650,000 of tax. No, you can't do it. It really just doesn't make sense there. So I think at some point the two options there in Georgia are going to be one – whether this case actually is just dropped, is just straight up dropped, which, you know, you're going to have a lot of people that are going to push very hard to make sure that it is not dropped, or it could be moved out of Fulton County. There's no particular reason based on the, under, on, based on the underlying facts that the case has to be tried in Fulton County. The substantive allegations pertaining to the Trump team's activities in Georgia between the 2020 election and January 2021 all those activities took place statewide in Georgia. So there's no legal jurisdictional reason why it necessarily has to stay there in the state of Georgia. But then when you start talking about moving it outside of Georgia, or excuse me, when you start talking about moving it outside of Fulton County, well, you're going to have a less blue jurisdiction. Fulton County is where Atlanta is. And then you're going to have a higher likelihood of a hung jury on the one hand, 
you'll have a more politically heterodox jury pool. And then on the other hand, talk about the legal calendar here. The Georgia case already was not slated to start until August. Man, you want you want to move that case out of Fulton County. Already you have this hearing on for ethics complaints there in two weeks. I mean, this thing is plodding along at a snail's pace right there. I just don't see them getting this thing to the finish line in time before the actual election in November. I continue to believe that Donald Trump is a very, very lucky man when it comes to his prosecution in Fulton County, Georgia. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.